Amen. Amen. Guys, grab a Bible and join us tonight. We are going to be in the book of Proverbs, chapter 25. So I say grab a Bible, but that's a Bible, either yours, one of the Bibles in front of you, or the little booklet that we gave you at the door, which is, in essence, a Bible as well, or a passage, chapter out of the Bible. We have printed out all of Proverbs 25 uh, in this booklet, as many of you guys know, and just it is there for you if you are interested, and they're available at the door, so that you would be able to go through this, this evening and be able to mark it up or write in it maybe more than you would normally do, and we're hoping that's helpful. Now, if you're joining us online right now, we also reach out and say that's possible for you as well. If you're wanting one of the booklets, you can go to our website, go to calvaryroswell.com, go under the messages, and you'll already see uh, today's message listed there. You can click on it. It'll have a little download link, download the notes, which is this. It'll be a PDF that you can print out or just use on an electronic device, and you'd be able to follow along as well. One way or another, we're longing that you would have it, that you'd have the Bible open before you, and that in the midst of it, you would grow an understanding that God would meet you and he would meet me in a space where he gives us wisdom, where he draws us to that which, what he, which he has for us. I know some of you are reading through the Bible with us also in our daily reading, and if so, you read today in, in Psalm 33, and one of the passages I really enjoy in the midst of it is that it talks about how God is forming hearts individually that he, he's working not just in mass, but he's working in a way that is individually shaping our lives. So let's present ourselves to him. I mean, if we believe that he is that, let's take a moment. I'm going to lead in prayer, but I'm hoping you will as well, and that you would ask God to shape you individually. And that means that maybe something from this night will be just for you. Maybe one of these Proverbs will land in a way you'll go, hey, that's mine. Like, I need to chew on that. That's something God's shaping me in that. And that's a personal thing that he would do. And I, I don't know about you. I don't want to miss that. I want to see what that would be for me this evening. So I'm going to ask for that and invite you to pray as well that God would speak to you through his word. God, I'm amazed when I realize the incredible promises you give us in your word. Even there in Psalm 33 where you tell us you're the God who looks upon all mankind, and you shape hearts individually. Sometimes I look at those kinds of promises, and I think, Lord, if you hadn't made it so clear, it would almost feel too much to ask that you would work on us in a very personal, individual way. Uh, it, it would almost seem presumptuous. If it wasn't so clear, that's you. That's what you do. And so with great joy, I lean into that and say, because that's so, Lord, I want that. I want that for me. I want that for each person here. That you would shape our hearts individually, that you'd mold us, that you would be that work of transforming grace that is drawing us to what you have for our lives. So, Lord, I'm asking for it. Help us to understand what you're speaking tonight. Let your truth penetrate and do that transformative work in our lives. Help us to hear it, help us to understand it, and help us to take it with us from here into a space that we seek to walk in what you're showing us. I ask for that for each one of us now, and I ask for it, Jesus, in your name. Amen. Amen. One of the interesting things God sometimes does is he works in people's lives that you didn't realize he was going to do that that maybe it wasn't even the aim. It's the kind of thing that maybe you're having a conversation with somebody and you're trying to share something with them and you didn't even know that somebody was listening. 
uh, they're over on the side. Maybe you're at the, you know, they're at the, at the restaurant and you're talking to one of your friends and you're just, hey, I, I read this in the Bible and I had this passage and unbeknownst to you, the person in the booth behind you has just got silent and they're just absolutely listening to everything you have to say. And it sometimes is that those ones become like God working, I mean, in an unexpected way. That's a little bit what we have here in this section of the book of Proverbs. See, if you have it there with us, you notice there in verse 1, it begins by letting us know these are the Proverbs of Solomon. That's here in chapter 25. It begins it that way, letting us know that he's the one that, that did this. And that's helpful in many ways because I remind you that God gave him more wisdom than anybody who ever lived or will live. Tells us in 1 Kings when Solomon asked for it, God said, Behold, I have given you a wise and understanding heart, so that there has not been anyone like you before you, nor shall any arise after you. God literally gave Solomon more wisdom than anybody had ever had or would have outside of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, uh, he's, he's God, and so yeah, his, his wisdom far surpasses. But from a human standpoint, Solomon had it. Now, again, if you know anything about history, you're like, but Jim, he didn't always live it. Well, that's true, because knowing and doing sometimes are different. That's true for Solomon. That's true for you, but he had it. Now, that's helpful because that's the book of Proverbs. It's him kind of, you know, this wisdom that God poured through him is pouring out to us. So up to this point in the book of Proverbs, we've had Solomon doing that both in addresses at the beginning, almost a father-son addresses. Then we had this, you know, massive things of wisdom that Solomon obviously wrote down, however he did that, into a way that was translated. We just finished even a section where kind of giving us 30 nuggets that would have been there in kind of a very familiar section for doing it. But now we begin a different section. Here in chapter 25, it's a different section because it's not one that Solomon sat down and penned a book of wisdom. Uh, it wasn't as if he was doing that. No, he did write them. They came other places, but now what's here is compiled not by Solomon, but by Hezekiah. Again, you have it there in the text. These are the Proverbs of Solomon, which the men of Hezekiah, king of Judah, copied. Now, that may just make perfect sense to you, but again, just process it for, with me for a moment. Hezekiah is a king who became king there in Judah 270 years after Solomon. If it's helpful, if you have a little bit of a history of, of a timeline of the kings of Israel, I'll put just a brief timeline up on the screen. I recognize there's no way to unpack all of it. If you were with us when we did kings, we walked through it this way. And so, you know, we saw that David was king, and then after him, Solomon, the man that we're seeing there, running from about 970 to 930 uh, BC and, and reigning in the midst of that. And then the Israel splits. It splits into the northern and southern kingdom. And in the southern kingdom, the more godly kingdom, there are a number of really good kings, some so-so ones. There are a couple of really bad ones, and so I have kind of a color-coding system on there. If it's black, they were bad. You know, bad kings, white, they were good, and kind of the gray in the middle. There are a couple really bad ones, Jeth Jerome, uh, Athaliah in the midst of it, bad kings, some really good kings that kind of reigned in the midst of that. But then we have this really bad king, and he reigns from 732 to 716. His name is King Ahaz. When God talks about him in Scripture, he says, yes, this is that King Ahaz. I mean, he's like the guy that brings in child sacrifice. He's the guy that just pollutes Israel to immeasurable levels in so many ways. And it's a destructive space. But after he passes from the scene, Hezekiah comes back on the scene. 
and he begins a work of revival. He begins a work of restoration, of tearing down all the junk that has been built up, of trying to re-put back into space uh, kind of this godly heritage and, and re-establish it within the midst of the land. And somehow it happened. Somehow when that Hezekiah and, and the men who were helping him were there, they come across Proverbs that Solomon wrote that weren't recorded in, in previous just writings. Now, I have just lots of questions. I mean, I just would love to know. It's like, so where did they find them? I mean, were these like plaques on the wall, you know, that they, you know, Solomon wrote? Were these like letters that he wrote to people? Were these, you know, other spaces? And again, none of that's given to us. This we do know that this is the word of God, that this is given to us by the Holy Spirit. So he's involved in that, but very practically they began to pull it together, which makes it a really good section. So this section will run from chapter 25 uh, to chapter 29, which is these just collection of nuggets of wisdom that Hezekiah, as he is seeking to reestablish uh, the nation in godliness, finds and says, hey, we need to, put the, we need to add this. We need to, this is, this is and, and God's at work in that. It's an amazing section to kind of walk that through and see where it plays and yet to see that which is here, which again is that kind of a fun moment, thinking this is kind of, you know, where Solomon, however he wrote this, he wasn't intending to write it down like this, but hey, we, now we're getting to hear it because God so orchestrated to pull it together. And I love that he does that. And uh, that's a fun thing, which I have already kind of referred to, so I'll leave it there. Well, with that beginning, it tells us in verse 2, it is the glory of God to conceal a matter, but the glory of kings to search out a matter. So the beginning of this section kind of tells us that the men of Hezekiah found that, then gives us this, and it lets us know that one of the things that we understand about God's gloriousness, the one of the things that is marking of his glory, is that then the idea that he conceals, or there are things that are things that he doesn't unpack for us because they're too big for us in many ways. I think about how it would tell us in Deuteronomy 29, uh, verse 29, that the secret things belong to the Lord our God, but those things which are revealed belong to us and our children forever, that we may do all the words of this law. It's like, okay, God, there are secret things. There are things, I mean, his wisdom far surpasses us, and so there's no sense that we know everything that he knows. That should be clear. He gives us what we have in the word of God, which is really, really good, but he's bigger than that. I love the way it gives it to us in that familiar passage in Isaiah where it says, for as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways, God says, higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. It just says, you know, it's just like, you know, so far vast beyond anything we are, he is. And so he begins this statement by just reminding us of that. I find myself thinking of the familiar hymn, but God moves in mysterious ways written by William Cowper. And I, I, I don't know about you, but I, I love just that idea that God moves in mysterious ways. His wonders to perform. He plants his footsteps in the sea and he rides upon the storm. Deep and unfathomable minds of never failing skill. He treasures up his bright designs and he works his sovereign will. I like that. I like this celebration that just says, God's ways are bigger than me. God's ways are bigger than me. They are, they, they are things that I cannot get. I cannot fully grasp and if I see that rightly, it is glorious. It is this place where that's the glory of God. It's a glory of God that there are so many things beyond me. And so he says it that way. It's the glory of God to conceal. It's the glory of God that he has those things beyond us. But in kind of a comparative statement, he says it's the glory of kings. It's the glory of kings to search out a matter. 
that it's the glory of kings to seek to present and, and to pursue and, and to find the things that are there. It's a different way of understanding it, but maybe it might be simple to say it to you this way. People honor God for his mysterious sovereignty. We, we look upon him and say, hey, that's glorious, and we recognize it's glorious. But we honor kings and those who are in leadership for making matters clear. That in one sense, they're not God. I mean, they're not in that sense that they're beyond us. And part of what that should be for a king that's doing well, for someone who's in authority or power, is to seek to, you know, both discover and, and make clear things that are, are a part of that. Now, that's a good statement. And maybe it's a statement that actually is meant to mark all of this section. Maybe it's the first statement in this section that Hezekiah's men go and find and says, this, this, is, this is the point, this is what we're seeking to do, to uncover, to unpack, to, to present things. Uh, G. Campbell Morgan and his commentary on this says it this way. It is suggested that those scribes put this Proverbs first. Had not all this resulted from the fact that they had been under the rule of a king whose supreme glory had been the searching out of secrets of wisdom in the fear of the Lord? I mean, here they are seeking to restore God's name and character and glory. And he says, this is what we're seeking to do. And, you know, God is big. He's far beyond us. But this is this place to seek to make God's ways known, seek to make God's wisdom known. And it is. And gloriously so, that we kind of get to enter into this section with that as a, a, just a, a reaping of that godly heritage of Hezekiah and of that season in Israel's history, of a rediscovering of, of some of God's incredible truths in the midst of it. And that's just fun. I don't know about anybody else. That's just a joyful place and definitely want to say, God, do it again. All right. Verse 3, as the heavens for the height and the earth, as the heavens for height and the earth for depth, so is the heart of the kings. Heart of kings is unsearchable. So there is this statement of fact that, in one sense, kind of imagining just as the heavens for height, the earth for depth, just this massive place. He says, so when you're thinking about a king, there is a sense that it is unsearchable. That knowing that, knowing even what's happening in the midst of that, is not something that we could even get to. Now that's true. In fact, it's not just true for kings, it is true for all of us. I think about what it tells us in Jeremiah, that the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked who could know it. And there is a sense of just understanding that as we think about hearts, it's like nobody can sit there and go, I totally get it. I totally either know your heart or I know mine. I mean, God knows us. I mean, God knows that. In fact, I like that the next verse says, God does. I, the Lord, search the heart. I test the mind. I give to every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. That he's not guessing. He knows us. He knows us for who we are, but he's the only one that does that. So quick, by the way, FYI, this is actually a really helpful truth that could shape the way you view the world and should shape the way that we even view kings and presidents and leadership and everything that's happening in our world. I think about one of the most misquoted verses in the New Testament when Jesus is speaking in the midst of the Sermon on the Mount where he'll simply say, hey, judge not that you be not judged. It's one of those admonitions that you will hear tossed around and, and people will tell you all that, you know, at, you know, like, hey, you're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge, right? You're a Christian. You're not supposed to judge me. And oftentimes what they mean by that is don't tell me I'm a sinner. Don't, don't confront my rebellion. Don't tell me I'm doing wrong because that's not what Christians do, Right. That's not what Jesus is saying. In fact, in that same section, Jesus goes on to say, even so, every good tree bears good fruit, 
A bad tree bears bad fruit, therefore by your fruits you'll know them. He says, so here's how we know people. We know by, that, by what we see. It's, it's the only way that you and I have the ability to, to look. We, we, we have the ability to look and say, I see the fruit. You know, it's either good fruit or it's bad fruit. But what I can't do is I can't judge. What is that? Well, you understand, right? Think about it very just clearly like going into a courtroom and, and having a judge who is being responsible for that, that is judging not just what happened, but why it happened. Was it intentional? Was it an accident? You know, what was the motivation? What was behind it? That's really, in many ways, what he's saying. And what he's telling you and I here is you can't do that. And you're not supposed to do that. Uh, You're not supposed to spend your time judging other people, assuming that you know why they did what they did and, and, and why they do what they do. You can judge fruit. You can say, well, I'm looking at the fruit, you know. The fruit seems to say, you know, they, they're, they're living a rebellious lifestyle. They, they, they don't read the Bible. They're not going to church. They're living in blatant sin. Fruit seems to say they're in a bad space, and I can do that. I, uh, that's not judging. What becomes judging is where I can say, well, yeah, that's what they're doing, but I know why they're doing it. Uh, that's, I, I know why they're doing it. I know I, I can see, and, and, and if you can track with me in a quick way, that's something we do all the time. That's something that happens in our world all the time, and maybe even in this quick admonition, it's good, where he says, you know, the, the heart of the king, it's unsearchable. Like, you, you couldn't sit there and say, well, I know why, and I know what it is, and yet this is exactly what happens. And you know what, let's just own it for a second. I know it happens for you, too. Like, it happens probably for me that sometimes we look at things that are happening in our world, and we don't just note what's happening, but we assume why it's happening. Yeah, they're trying to destroy America. That's what it is. They're just, boy, they're just, I mean, I just know that's what they're doing. And we have, instead of just saying, well, you know, I don't know that, but here's what I can tell you. I can say what's happening. And I can, I can point out fruit. But to give motives, like that's a waste of time. And that's not what I'm supposed to be doing. You know, that's, I mean, it, to be honest, if I had to search my own motives out, I'm, I just got to be honest. And if you're really clear with me, it's like, I don't know. I, I hope my motives were always right, but sometimes it's like, what is my motive? I'm not even, you know, God, you're, I'm so glad you search these things out, and you'll work these things, but it's not ours to do, and so he calls us away from it. Well, that's good. Uh, that's a good space for us to think through and, and, and think through even kind of walking through that. With that, go to verse 4, and so in these first few Proverbs, we have kind of some things written to kings, which I almost again wonder, where Hezekiah's men found this? Was this a, you know, a note that Solomon had left for future kings? Was this a space where he's kind of t- instructing others who would sit on the throne? I don't know, but it does seem to speak to this goal of, of who they would be, both searching out truth, not really knowing their hearts, and then here in verse 4, take away the dross from silver, and it will go to the silversmith for jewelry. Take away the wicked from before the king and his throne will be established in righteousness. So verses 4 and 5 go together, and again, it's a pretty simple picture. So you take silver, and if you kind of begin to smelt it and get rid of the impurities, you get rid of the the junk that's there, that silver becomes more valuable. And it's now to go and make jewelry. It's now something that is, is, is only growing in value if you can get rid of the impurities, simply and, and very factually true. He gives it to us as a picture, take away the wicked from before the king. Take away those who would be this bad influence. Take away those who would be, you know, kind of speaking problems into the midst of that. He says, and then your throne will be established in righteousness. What good advice. 
uh, for anybody in power. Again, I recognize nobody in here is a king tonight in the sense of our world, but some of you have power. Some of you lead businesses or you lead groups. Good piece of wisdom for you. Purify that. Get, get rid of the bad influences that just so often mess it up, and it establishes. And, and he just simply kind of calls us to this, to recognize the power of influence, to recognize the power that those around us have into our lives, and to seek to make that just that which we seek to walk in, in a good influence, and those around us are influences in good ways. May it be so in your life. All right. Flip over to the next page, verse 8. Do not hastily go to court. And we have verses 6 and 7 that go together here. Do not hastily go to court. Um, sorry, I went ahead and turned to the, not to the next page. So you guys, if anybody's like, man, Jim, you skipped verses 6 and 7. They're on the screen and you're reading the wrong one. So yeah, that's, that's, I love that God can work through folly here. So do not exalt yourself in the presence of a king. Do not stand in the place of the great. For it is better that he say to you, come up here then you should be put in the lower place in the presence of, of the prince whom your eyes have seen. Pretty simple thing. It's actually some of you will kind of pick it up and, and it's just application. But the idea here is he says, okay, don't exalt yourself. Don't, you know, put yourself high. Don't be this person who is always seeking to, you know, put yourself into high spaces. Don't do that, especially in the presence of a king. Don't do this where you stand, where you're trying to make yourself great in, in, in the presence of those who are great, because it would be so much better, he says. If someone, you know, if you come in there and then you're invited up and you're kind of invited up into a greater place, other than you having to be put down, then that you should be put in a lower place of the presence of a prince whom your eyes have seen, that it would be this place that because you exalted yourself that the king has to come in and go, ah, that's not your space. Now, some of you will recognize right off the bat, Jesus said the same thing. Jesus said the exact same uh, admonition in a few different words. In Luke 14, he's there and he's watching uh, those who are invited to a, a fe wedding feast. And he noticed how they were choosing the best places. You know, that they were like, give me the best spot. Like, I want to have the most important spaces. You know, I want to be recognized. I want to have you know, honor, I want to do that. And so he watched this jockeying for position, this jockeying for recognition. And Jesus just said, when you're invited uh, by anyone to a wedding feast, do not sit down in the best place, lest one more honorable than you be invited by him. And he who invited you come, uh, to come and say to you, give place to this man. And then you begin with shame to take the lowest place. And you can just imagine it. You know, here's this person who's kind of, you know, put themselves up in the seat of honor. And then the, 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 just the wedding feast guy who's watching over there has to come and say, um, you need to go, like, just go, go sit over there, you know. And how embarrassing, how shameful that would be. He says, instead, you, you should go in and sit down in the lowest place. So that when he invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, come up higher. Go up higher. Then you'll have glory in the presence of those who sit at the table with you. And then Jesus just gives the application. It says, whoever exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. And it becomes a principle that runs all the way through Scripture. Just a place of saying, hey, when you get there, humble yourself. Like, you should just say, okay, I'm not pushing myself up into space. And then let God exalt. Let God bring you into whatever he has for your life. It's an entirely different way of doing things uh, than our world does it. And yet here... There, Solomon catches this, and Hezekiah's men write it down. They note the same thing there, just saying, hey, this is a much better place to go. 
All right. Now you can flip the page over to the next one. There you have verses 8, 9, and 10 that all, again, flow together in one uh, kind of nugget of truth. Do not hastily go to court. For what will you do in the end when your neighbor has put, put you to shame? Debate your case with your neighbor. Do not disclose the secret to another, lest he who hears it expose your shame and your reputation be ruined. So he says, here's the thing. Don't, don't, don't rush you know, hastily to go to court, to take your, you know, before court or probably even here before the court of a king uh, to try to get judgment. And he, and he calls us away from this. Now, we could note there is truth of this that runs all the way through the Scripture. Paul would talk about it in Corinthians that specifically Christians should not be doing that to other Christians and, you know, trusting God with that. It's not saying that it's wrong uh, to go to court for other situations, but even in those, he says, you know, don't be fast to do that. Don't be quick to be the one that, you know, is bringing a lawsuit or, or jumping into that. Because he says, what are you going to do when it doesn't go well? What are you going to do when you bring the, you know, what we do in the end and your, your neighbor gets exalted, you bring the court case and, and you're put to shame? He says it would be so much better if you would try to deal with that first before running off, you know, and filing a lawsuit. Go and debate the case with your neighbor. Go and see if you can fix this without having to, you know, kind of head into a, a, a legal situation. And if you're going to do that, don't disclose it to everybody else. Don't, don't go and make a community issue of this where you're telling everybody uh, about the problem. No, just go to try to fix it with that person. Go and try to fix it with that person in the midst of it. He says, that would go so much better. Last, he says, if you're not going to do that, you know, those who, who hear it will expose your shame in it and your reputation will be the thing that gets ruined. So again, it's a pretty clear admonition that just calls us to handle life in a different way. And again, Jesus would speak some of the same. He would say it this way in Luke 12. When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge and the judge deliver you to the officer and the officer throw you in prison. He says, if you're on that way and it seems like, hey, this is where we're heading, we're heading towards a, you know, a legal dispute, you should do everything you can to fix it before you get there. Like you, like you shouldn't just be quick to say, I want it, because it would be so much better to do that, to, to settle it in that space. In fact, it even go, he would talk about it when we think about dealing with other Christians and offenses and the way that we would do that. He would say in Matthew 18, moreover, if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. And if he hears you, you have gained your brother. And then he goes on and gives other stipulations if that doesn't work, but I just want you to see this one space. He's like, you know what? You have a problem with somebody and somebody has a problem with you. Don't tell everybody just go and talk to them. Go and tell them alone. Go see if you can fix this. Go and see if you can reconcile. Go and see if there's a way to restore this. It's an entirely different way of doing things, which is exactly what it's calling for here in the book of Proverbs. You know, to debate your case with your neighbor. To say, okay, let me see if I can do what, whatever I can do, as much as it depends upon me to do it, make it well. And if I'm going to do that, I'm not going to go tell everybody. I'm not going to go, you know, I'm going to go talk to that person, you know. And it's, again, you probably understand this right now. Would to God that it would be so. We live in a very uh, a society that's very quick to go to court, very quick to, 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 you know, to, to sue, and, and he's calling us away from that. And we live in a society that's very quick to you know, spread gossip, to, to, to take uh, the whole case as if you know, everybody on Facebook land you know, is going to try the case. You know, it's like, why? You, what, go talk to them. 
Like, why are you, you know, airing this dirty laundry? I mean, have you actually gone and tried to deal with that person and, and said, hey, we, you know, we need to fix this, you know, instead of getting everybody else involved? It's a good way of doing things. Wish it wasn't having to happen. I wish I could say, hey, you'll never have to have conflicts that these are things you're going to have to do. That's just not true. But there's a good way to deal with them. It's a wise way of dealing with them, and it would save you a lot of trouble, save you a lot of pain, which Jesus is encouraging, and this is encouraging in in our lives as well. All right. Well, as we jump to the next page, uh, it really runs from verse 11 all the way down to verse 15. There's this section that's giving us a, a, a number of verses that give us a picture of the value of speaking well. Uh, of of words spoken well. So they all kind of flow together, but we'll tackle them individually just so we can see them in the midst of it, but know that there's a flow in the midst of it. So he gives us this beautiful picture uh, that just says, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold and settings of silver. It's meant to be just an incredibly beautiful thing that you could imagine, and it actually is, to say the right thing in the right way, in the right time, is beautiful. It's like the most beautiful piece of jewelry that you could ever find, that you would find some beautiful piece of jewelry and you would look at it and say, not only is the stone beautiful, not only is the, it's well set, you know, it's well just kind of proportioned in the midst of it. And he says, if we could do this, if we could say the right thing, if if we could have a word fitly spoken, it would be so. Uh, I just want to tell you, I hope you understand that. I hope you, you, you want that. If you're like me, it's like, oh, I, I, I love to do that. I don't think I rarely ever do that. You know, so often it feels like, you know, I wish I would have said it. You know, afterwards, like, I could have said that better, or I wish I would have said that differently. And yet longing as we have communication with other people that we could say the right thing in the right way, in the right manner, with the right words, in, in the right tempo, in the right attitude, in the right you know, just way, it's, it's this place of longing for that good space of communication. He says, if you have that, verse 12, it's like an earring of gold and an ornament of fine gold is a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. So we have this idea of this beautiful saying of saying it well, and he says it's like apples of gold and settings of silver, and now he says, you know, if you can do that, it becomes this like this earring that's a beautiful place. If, if you're that person who is a wise rebuker, you're like you have to tell somebody, you have to confront them or, or, or show them something or tell them something wrong. But if they're receptive, if they're receptive and you've spoken it well, it's just so well received. It's such a beautiful thing. Most of us know this by not doing it this way. You know what I mean, right? I mean, parents, probably sometimes when we've dealt with our kids, uh, sometimes you've dealt with your friends or other people, sometimes you have to say something or confront something, and, and they'll say something like this. You know, it's not what you said, it's how you said it that just totally messed everything up. Like, you know, I, I, I don't disagree that, 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 you know, that, but the way that you said it, it just... Man, it just, wow, you just crushed, you just, you were cruel, or you were unkind, or you said it harshly, and you're like, but I, but I would, but we needed to talk about this. It's like, well, yeah, but how good it, I mean, if you're, if you're, if you could see that, it's like, I, I want that. 
I mean, there are times we need to confront, we need to rebuke, we need to tell people hard things, and yet, if we could do it well, this, if we could be a wise rebuker, if we could have good words, it would be a beautiful thing. Well, not only is it so as a fact, not only is it so is it's received, but verse 13, like a cold snow in, in a time of harvest, is a faithful messenger to those who send him, for he refreshes the soul of his masters. Like the cold of snow, and it would have those days of, you know, kind of bringing almost from the mountains. We would probably say it differently in our culture. It would be like, you know, like a, a tall glass of iced tea on a hot day is kind of the idea. Like something is like, oh, that is so perfect. Like I'm just, it's, it's hot, it's miserable, and yet so refreshing. He says, if you are that person who is giving the right words, is speaking the right thing in the right way, you're a faithful messenger, it is refreshing, not just to the person who's hearing, but to the one who sent you, to the one who sent you with a message. And, you know, that can be true in a very practical way in our world, but so much so with our Heavenly Father, that He would be the one that would be prompting us to talk to somebody. To, that he would be the one that prompting us like, hey, you're gonna, you need to talk to your friend, you need to talk to your, your brother, you need to talk to your sister, you need to talk to your kids. And, and, and yet if you can do it well, it's as if not only is it good from, from the, the thing, not only could it be well received, but the one who's sending it says, that's just refreshing. It's refreshing to find somebody who's faithful, who will you know, seek to communicate the right thing at the right time in the right way in a beautiful setting. And may it be so more of us. May God cause that to be us. May he grow us in it. May he grow me in it. God, I so long to do that and be one who is pleasing to him in the messages that I bring. Well, with that, over in verse 14, he would say it this way. Whoever falsely boasts of giving is like clouds and wind without rain. So now it's a bad thing. It says, okay, so you're, you're making a false boast. Now, this could be true of a statement of somebody who's promising to give something financially. It would definitely have application there. But in context, it has the idea of everything that we're talking about. Uh, the idea of this apples of gold and settings of silver, of, of wise words speaking in the midst of this. And so this would be the idea of, hey, you, you say like, I'm going to give you something good, like I'm going to speak something well, I wanna, I'm going to give you some good advice. And he says, if, if, if you're not there, if you falsely boast of it, it's like clouds and wind without rain which we know something about here in Roswell. I mean, when you watch the, the clouds come, it's like, rain, please, rain, please. Oh, you know, and just so disappointing when it goes around us. He says, that's how you are. If you, have, you know, like you say, hey, I'm, I'm going I'm to give a good message. Like God's put something on my heart. I'm going to give a faithful message. But it's so disappointing if, you, if it doesn't go well, if you communicate it poorly, if you are one who falsely boasts of giving, which probably, again, has the idea of, of giving wisdom, of sharing wisdom, and calls us away from that, not to be those who are that. Because, again, in this context, it is... Oh, to have that apple of gold, that setting of silver, that good word at the right time in the right way, that would be amazing. Well, add to that, he says in verse 15, by long forbearance, a ruler is persuaded and a gentle tongue breaks a bone. By long forbearance, by, by faithfully, just consistently, you know, speaking, you know, I, I think about the persistent widow that Jesus talks about, the one who's like just, just persistently, like I'm not letting go of this, I'm not letting go of this, and yet this has the idea of, again, this apple of gold setting of silver context, this wise nugget, this says if you could do that, 
you could change a ruler. You could change things. You could change somebody. They could be persuaded by you faithfully staying to, to the course and the message, but it needs to be a gentle tongue. It needs to be this gentle tongue, which he gives us this almost wild picture because it's almost, it's not like a natural thing. It says, that can break a bone. That, that, that can crush through something that seems so resistant, that, that is this gentle, persistent, you know, just word that you speak. You know, that's probably a good word for somebody here this evening. Maybe there is somebody that you are longing to see come to Christ. Maybe there's somebody that you're longing to see their, their lifestyle turn around, and you've spoken it to them. And then sometimes you're just like, I'm done. Like, I'm going to chew them out. Like, I'm, a ter- I, I'm, gonna, you know, I'm, I'm done being kind. I'm done being nice. You know what? That, that's never going to win well. I mean, if we want to see that, sometimes it's just long persistence, long persistence, where it's like, you know, I'm just going to keep saying the same thing, and it's going to be gentle, and I'm going to do it with kindness, and I'm going to continue to be kind, and I'm going to continue to be gentle, and that can break through. That can break through resistance. That can break through bones, and yet it calls us to that. Don't give up this idea. Don't see, move away from this idea of having a wise tongue, of speaking the right thing in the right way at the right time with the right emphasis, with the right, you know, tone of voice. Let that be something you want and, and don't move away from that because it can actually change, you know, just hard things and break through lives. And may it be even an encouragement to you tonight if that's something you're thinking through and just, okay, just keep going. Just keep speaking, keep speaking, keep speaking, keep speaking gently and then watch God break through. Well, with that, he he changes there in verse 16. He says, have you found honey? Eat only as much as you need, lest you be filled with it and vomit. Pretty clear, pretty clear picture. But again, let's just process it through. He says, if you found it, honey, that would be, you know, sweet in those days, just that which we talked about even last week a little bit, the value of it. But he says, if you found it, only eat as much as you need. Because if you overindulge, if you go past that, it will move from that place of enjoyment to literally a place of vomiting, and simply put, that happens, you know, kind of deal. I think you can catch the idea, but it's a simple understanding. It's a good piece of wisdom that overindulgence in good things is harmful and actually becomes counterproductive, and it's a good nugget of piece of wisdom. I mean, some of you are like, I know what that's like. I know what that's like. You know, it's like overindulge, you know, you go too far. Uh, it, it takes that which was good and turns it to bad. And it's just a good nugget of piece of wisdom into life, but it has probably more application if we're able to get to it into a few more verses. Nevertheless, it's good for us just to sit there and go, that's true. <laughs> Boy, that would have been good if I'd learned that earlier, you know, kind of deal. But may it be so that God would draw us even to it. All right, verse 17. Seldom set your foot in your neighbor's house, lest he become weary of you and hate you. This is a great piece of wisdom. He says, hey, you know, if you have this kind of place, you know, you're, you're kind of got a neighbor or friend, seldom set your foot in there, lest, lest you become weary and hate you. This is actually really good advice. And some of you are like, I didn't know this was in there. I'm writing it down right now. You know, it's like, I know somebody I need to give this to. Um, we're made for relationship. You know, we really are, and relationships are an important part of our lives. 
And yet there's things that hinder it. And honestly, this is one of those uh, where, where some people could just overstay welcome. It's like they, you know, they find it there and, and just they, they begin to kind of move into a space where instead of it being a blessing, they become burdensome. And simply put, it's a good piece of wisdom. It's a good piece of wisdom. It may not be you. It's probably not anybody in here, but it might just be worth asking. It's like, okay, is that me? You know, I don't, I, I don't want to, you know, push myself into other relationships or friendships or, you know, to the kind of place where it's like, they're kind of like, when are they going to leave? You know, oh no, they came over again, you know, kind of deal, you know, just in that space because it, it actually becomes counterproductive. It actually begins to hinder a relationship and wise wisdom says, hey, don't do it. You know, don't become that person that, you know, people are trying to inventively figure out ways to get you to leave their house, you know, uh, and just like, just don't do it, you know, just because it just would be that which would be, you don't want to turn that which was good which is relationship and friendships into something that becomes bad. And just what a good practical piece of wisdom. Funny though. All right, verse 18. A man who bears false witness against his neighbor is like a club, a sword, and a sharp arrow. So somebody who lies, you lie about your neighbor. You're one that communicates. I says, if you're like that, and you're one that, that would bear false witness either in a court or just kind of declaring false things about other people, it says, that's like a club. That's like a, a sword. That's a sharp arrow. Sticks and stones may break bones, but names will never hurt me kind of deal isn't true. You know, it's like, okay, you begin to speak wrongly. It's just like, you might have hit me with a club. You know, you might just stabbed me instead of saying something like that. Why would you do that? And he calls us away from it. He calls us away from being an untrue witness. And some of these things begin to flow there. In some senses, there's a little bit of connection off of what we just walked through. We were in this section that was thinking through the value of good words, the value of speaking the right thing at the right time in the right way. And in this section, it really is the wrong time and the wrong way. And so we have, you know, those who you begin to weary your neighbor because you overstay your welcome or hear that kind of place that you're speaking lies. And it's never going to go well. It, it, it is just a cruelty. It's a place of, you know, that so often someone would say, that's exactly what this is. And some of you know what it is saying. Some of you had somebody lie about you and you're like, that's what it feels like. It feels like they hit me over the head with a club. You know, I would have probably rather them hit me, you know, with a two by four than what they did by lying about me. You know, and so it just calls us away from being that kind of person with that. He says, confidence in an unfaithful man in time of trouble is like a bad tooth and a foot out of joint. So this is the other side of the one we just saw, where we said, okay, so if you have a faithful witness who is giving a right thing, that it's refreshing to the one who sent it, that it's a blessing to the sender of the message. Well, here it says, if you, if you have confidence in somebody who's not trustworthy, they're going to miscommunicate. They're going to, you know, give the wrong message. He says, kind of like having a bad tooth or your foot out of joint. You know, it's just miserable, you know, kind of deal. I mean, and some of you understand exactly what that feels like if you've had a bad tooth or you've literally had your foot out of joint. It's like, man, it's miserable. And he says, that's how it is. Instead of it being refreshing, it becomes painful. And obviously, again, the idea is don't let this be you. Don't let it be you to others, but don't let it be this way to the heart of God. That, that he would say, it's just, you know, that you would be one that, totally, you know, messes up the message. You know, you're, you're miscommunicating. You're saying things in the wrong way, and may God rescue us from that. Verse 20, another one of the funny ones. 
Like one who takes away a, a garment in cold weather and like vinegar on soda is one who sings songs to a heavy heart. <laughs> Just, you have to kind of imagine it. So here you have this idea like, so you take away somebody's garment in cold weather or you pour vinegar on soda, you know, kind of the whole thing of, you know, watching it fizzle and, and bubble and go crazy in the midst of all of that. He says, so if you are going to sing songs, like you're going to just be, you know, you know merry and, and just, you know, rejoicing to somebody who's actually really, it doesn't go well, you know, and, and uh, I don't know how to better say it, it's really, it is sadly true and funny. I mean, it's one of those things, it's like, hey, if you're walking with somebody and you're walking alongside somebody who's having a hard time, you know, being jovial and just singing loudly, I, he says like, hey, hey, walk gently, speak softly, be kind, you know, listen, you know, this isn't that kind of space to be otherwise, you know, because it would be like this place where instead of being helpful, instead of being the person who's saying the right thing at the right time in the right way, you are totally messing up any opportunity of speaking the right thing. You're totally missing up everything that would be in the midst of that. All right. Verse 21 and 22 go together. If your enemy is hungry, give him bread to eat. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will heap coals of fire on his head, and the Lord will reward you. So somebody's doing you wrong, doing the wrong thing, and, and, the, and the Bible calls us away from, you know, giving vengeance of our own. Paul would speak the same thing. Some of you recognize in Romans 12 where he says, hey, vengeance is God. You leave that to him. And Paul quotes the same thing. He says, instead of doing cruel things, be nice to them. Be nice to your enemy. You know, give, if he's hungry, give him bread. If he's thirsty, give him water to drink. Like, you do kind things. Uh, to, even some, you know, you know, love those who aren't like you. Jesus would tell us, hey, you know, the world can treat people nice who are treating them nice. You treat those who are evil to you nicely. You, you don't just not give back, but be kind. Be, be that one that would give food, give water if there's a need in the midst of it. And he says, if you would do that, you would be one that will heap coals of fire on his head. So quick pause. I don't know if that picture is well for you. I have read so much over this in the years. Um, it's quoted here. There's another, a very similar one in Romans 12 where he says, actually, you're going you're gonna to throw this on your forehead. And there's been lots of you know, ideas like, well, maybe this is talking about how they would carry you know, coals from one fire to another, or maybe this is a, a, a picture of the way it's done. It just never works for me. I'm like, I don't get it. And then, you know, kind of listen to the whole thing. I've read through the things, and it's like, that doesn't make sense. That almost sounds like um, you're trying to hurt them. Like, you know, you know, give them food, give them water, because you're going to pour coals on their forehead, you know, kind of deal. And, and it's not actually that way at all. In fact, I think it's actually a much more simple statement that if you just pay attention to it for a moment, you go, oh, I get it. I get it. So the idea of pouring coals on their head, or as Paul would say it in Romans 12, coals on their forehead, it would have the idea in one sense that you're, uh, you, you're causing a reddening of shame that our kindness can bring on our enemies for good. That this idea of pouring coals or their, on, on their, their, their forehead turning red, it's the idea of embarrassment. It's the idea of, of them being ashamed. You know, kind of a red-faced shame, you know, kind of deal. Why? Because they were mean and you were kind. Because they did evil and you did good. This is what happens when David does it to Saul. Saul is trying to kill David, and David won't kill him, and, and, and Saul's like, what, who does this? Who, 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 who treats their enemy the way you've treated me? I, you know, it's a crazy thing, and, and it's embarrassing. It's shameful when they finally recognize where it is, but it could work good. That's a very practical piece of wisdom that's good for all of us that thinks, okay, 
I would love somebody to turn around. I'd love for somebody to realize they're doing the wrong thing. And the best way I can do that is to, for me to do the right thing, even when they're doing the wrong thing. But this gives us even a better reason, because God will reward you. God says, you do that. You do what's right, and I'll take care of you. You know, they may have done you wrong, you do them right. They may have treated you unfairly, you treat them fairly. They may have been unkind, you be kind. And, and maybe, they'll, maybe their face will get red, and they'll get embarrassed, and they'll, I'm so sorry, and turn in repentance. That would be amazing. But even if they don't, God will say, I'm pleased with that. I'm pleased that you did that, because that's honoring to God. It's honoring to what He is and, and what He has, and, and He would call us to that. All right. Um, hmm. Trying to think about where to, to land this evening. That's probably a good space for us to land. Trying to think about where it lands in, in the midst of the next verses, but I think we'll just kind of begin to pull it to a close there. So we think about everything that's being laid out before us, and I kind of want to just go back and just say it one more time. I hope you've heard. I hope you've heard things that we're talking about, because in many ways, we're talking about communication. We're talking about ways that, that we communicate with other people and ways that 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 can go well, and I hope that's desirous to you. I don't know if it is. I don't know if you hear what I've said tonight in a way that you're thinking, I would love to be that kind of person. I, I don't know about you. I just want to tell you, I would love to be that kind of person. I would love to be kind of the right kind of person that says the right thing at the right time and the right way, that, that knows how to answer people, that can speak in a way that can break through hardness and kindness and ultimately be pleasing to my father, ultimately the one that sent me. I, I would love that kind of thing, and yet I am so aware of how often that doesn't happen, that, you know, I find myself afterwards thinking, ah, you know, I, 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 you know I, I, maybe I meant the right thing, it came out wrongly, and yet here he's calling us to it. He's calling us to, to say, God, help us. God, God, I want to be this. I, I, I want to be this person. I want to be that kind of person that would, would speak and let that be flowing in and through my life. And, and, I, and I long for that even now, that that, that would be who we are for, for our own benefit, for, for things that are there, but also for this. You know, he says, here's this thing. You could, if you're that kind of person who is, you know, giving and is kind, you'll heap coals of fire. You'll, you'll bring about transformation in other people's lives. And how much I long for that. How much I long that God would, you know, turn others who are, who are rebellious and, and, and apart from him and cause them to see where he is. Maybe that's you even this evening. Maybe here in this place, maybe you just happen to tune in tonight and crazy things you're thinking through. As, as you hear some of these, you're like, man, I... You know, I, I don't ever hear that. There's everybody, you know, who's ever communicated things to me does it wrong. And maybe you're tuning in, you think, well, you know, I thought, I'm thinking about Jesus, but man, some of the things that people have said have turned me off, have caused it so this doesn't sound exciting. But we've, maybe we've miscommunicated. I just want to tell you, God is a God who is doing it well. He is one who's, whose words are right, who's beautiful, and, and we so long that that's being communicated. We so long that that's being communicated. If that's you, even this evening, that you would be drawn to him. If you're his this evening, and even you recognize that some of this has gone wrong in your life, that you would be just in that place of restoration, but that we would move forward saying, I would long this to be me. I'd long to be the kind of person that, you know, uh, you know, people don't have to apologize for. Like, oh no, he's going to come and you know, he's going to say it. And he's going to say something so 
off, you know, and it's like, you, if only you knew that he really meant well. It's like, no, I want it to be the, a different person. I want someone who, who would do that, and so it's something we ask for. We ask God, hey, would you help us to be that, both for the benefit of others, both for the benefit that would be upon their lives, but ultimately for our God, that he would find pleasure in that. And so I just want to leave that with you this evening in a space that, that maybe that's just kind of just pulled across as, as, we, as we looked at the positive ways that happens and we saw the negative ways, as we saw the ways of, of when words are spoken and how that happens and how it flows, how it goes well, and, and the unfaithful messenger that's like a, 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 just a, a bad tooth, you know, and, and think, okay, I, I, I know which one I want to be. I, I want to be the one that's like a, a cold drink of iced tea on a hot day, you know, I don't want to be a bad tooth. I want to be the one that is, is, is walking in, in good things. And so may God meet us in that. May he draw you forward. May he draw you forward that you'd look on and say, God, you know, draw me more to be that. So that again, we could be this. It, it might again be being that person that in your life right now, who that you need to continue to say, they're, they're unkind and they're cruel and they're mean, but I'm going to do the right thing. I'm, I'm going to speak the right thing. And it might be that that just persistent goodness, that persistent message of kindness, that permiss, per, persistent message of the gospel, uh, of the hope of Christ, of, of, of the wonder of forgiveness, will just break through some hard hearts and, and how we long to be in that vein of things. Because that's, that's the message that God's seeking to communicate. So may he draw you and I into that. So with that in mind, let me close this in prayer and we'll ask God to draw us after that. Got to think about it. Wise words. Like apples of gold, settings of silver. Those are yours. Everything you say, you say right. Everything you say is beautiful and is perfect. Thank you. Thank you where you've pursued us in those things and would draw us after you. But God, I'd like to ask for it. I would like to ask that you would grow me and you would grow us to be those who pursue this. That we'd say, God, I want to be that. I want to be one that says the right thing at the right time in the right way. I want to be the one who's a wise rebuker to an obedient ear. I want to be the one that says it well in a way that's gentle and kind, but the kind of gentleness that can break a bone. God, would you do that? Would you work that in us? Would you give us your words? Would you forgive us where we've not been faithful, where we've not said it well? where we've given up, where we've not given kindness when others have given us cruelty. God, would you help us to walk well in these things? Would you help us to grow in these things? So that people can see you. So that people can see who you are. God, as much as you would give us that, help us to do that. Help it to happen even the way this chapter kind of laid out. I find myself thinking that Solomon never sat down to write this chapter in the way that it's written down. Holy Spirit, you did. But you gathered it from Hezekiah 270 years later. 
Lord, I pray that some of our words that we were maybe sharing with somebody else, things that we were saying to somebody else would be so well said that somebody overhearing them would be blessed and it would become valuable in their lives. Create those spaces for us, Lord, so that our words become blessings in places that we didn't even expect them to become. Lord, do that even tonight. I ask it right now as we surrender all of this to you. In Jesus' name, amen.